Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Well, I'm proud to be an American. Or at least I know I'm free. I like that song. And I'm proud to live in the land I love and that gave its life for me. Was that? I guess I don't have all the lyrics. That's a pretty good song. Yeah, it had it came under fire a lot. Well, I'm trying to you know get away from the what the genetic criticism or whatever how it got used, but I I like the uh, I like the tune, the tone, the tune, the tone. Uh, I feel like these baseball yeah. players have got a lot of crazy names today. <laughs> I feel like it came under fire, just like, just like the man who composed it. Well, I, all I'm trying to say is I like the. I mean, the, 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 there's the famous line from the song, but there's a reason we sing that line, and it's because it's really catchy. It's not what you expect in a chorus. It's hooky. hooky. It, well, and what it does is I, I'm, I'm trying to. I mean, I don't have the song in front of me. I don't have a guitar, but I feel like it starts on the one chord let me ask you if you did have a guitar right now would you be capable of playing it i have it but it needs to be restrung no no i don't mean would you be capable of playing the guitar but would you be able to play i'm proud to be an american is it a song that's in your repertoire no but you know how it is when you do enough like playing well we've talked endlessly about playing along with records and how you get a feel in your hands for like when it's the four and when it's the five. Oh yeah, that feel in your hands. It's you, like you know what I mean, though, right? Yeah, it's like the feeling of victory. Mm. Lee Greenwood in the morning <laughs> on Q one oh five. But I feel like I feel like it's probably like a pretty much like a one and four kind of cadence for most of it. It's not it's not super interesting, but the arrangement and the fact that it starts on that. And I'm proud to be an American. It's it's just a uh, it's a very catchy it's a catchy tone. Yeah, it is. It has catchy tones. Yeah, uh, but that's how I am. I'm that's I'm that. I'm proud. <clears throat> oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I I think I am too. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, let's start off this show with some American pride. Pride. <laughs> Coming up on four <laughs> minutes after the hour, we're going to talk about pride. Pride. Pride is a. It's a fraught topic. It is, you know, it's one of the seven deadly sins. Is that right? Yeah, pride goeth before a fall. Huh. Oh, uh-huh. actually, Does, technically, I think it's pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's Romans. Uh, so why do I have it? Why, oh, is it just a condensation of of that? It's sort of like a uh, made the trains run on time type situation, I, I think. I see. I see. I, see. I was trying to explain that, and every time I try to explain that anecdote that you told, I, I don't tell it with the ferocity and clarity that you do. <laughs> because it, it filled me with so much joy. It's so great, but it's like explaining a pun. Yeah, It's like going, no, see, if I said you had a beautiful body, <laughs> would you hold you it hold against it? me? See, it's a double <laughs> entendre. Yes. See, yes. they weren't I mean, I... actually saying that he made the trains run on time. It's that. No, wait, no. Is that. Uh, wait, forgive me. Is that no, Mussolini? Wait. Mussolini. Yeah. Mussolini. I, I, uh, that anecdote made me cry when I first heard it. And then it made me cry when I retold it. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those things like a, like, you know, you hear a song and it makes you cry. And then you hear it again, it makes you cry. And there were, there were three or four 
three or four times that I told that story uh, where it made me cry before I finally like got I finally got like tempered. I, so I, I, I got two questions. First of all, were, were you crying in different ways? And second, is your daughter there? No. Oh. Um, was I crying in different ways? No, my daughter is. <laughs> you can take the first question first. <laughs> was I crying in different ways? Yes. I mean, I was crying with like, I was, I was crying tears of joy at the ludicrousness of of humanity. I mean, it just seemed like it was an anecdote that made me, that just, it, it just said so much. It spelled so much. It's in line with that. The reason, I think one reason I keep conflating it or getting it wrong and thinking it was Stalin is it's very much in line with that classic black Russian sense of humor. Yeah. You know what I mean? We talk, I think we talked about this, but there, yeah. it's so in line with that. And it's like, it's such a perfect instance of that kind of black humor. Yeah. And, and, and yet I, and I don't know. It just makes so much sense. It's so, it's so hilarious. I, I, um, I've been out of coffee. Oh. How, do you, how do you get out of coffee? Well, see, this is the thing. I don't order my toilet paper on Amazon prime. Okay. I wait. That's not, I'm sorry. That I'll, sounded I'll, like I'll, it. I'll take the hit. Um, you know, that sounded that? like a dig. I'm not sure what that has to do with your coffee, but <laughs> sure. Like bad on me. It was a dig. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> think, but, think logicians might call that a non sequitur, but we'll allow it. You know, just a little, just a little. No, well, I, I don't, don't wear a hat so, to go to the bathroom. I don't. <laughs> I don't shop very well or often, and I don't. Here's the thing. Mm. Generally, I get my coffee for free because it's in uh, swag bags. Oh yeah, right. Right, like any more. If I go do an event, they they give you a pound of coffee and a pair of like cheap sunglasses and what, whatever it is. Do you, do you get the, a USB drive ever, John? I, I I have a few of them hanging on the doorknob right in in view of where mm. I'm sitting. I can see like four USB drives hanging <laughs> on lanyards. Uh, but yeah, a pound of coffee is typically the gift that you give someone that you're not paying very well at, uh, if they come to, to be part of your presentation. And so I usually wait around until I'm invited to something like that. I get my pound of coffee and then there's always another pound of coffee laying around that somebody didn't want that at the end of the, at the end of the event, when I'm the last person to leave the dressing room, I'm like, well, there's that pound of coffee. Right. And then somebody, typically there are a couple of things that where they give you a pound of coffee and a bottle of wine. And I usually stand in the middle of the room at events like that. And I say, trade my bottle of wine for a pound of coffee. Oh, and And also it's all trading places. Everybody's running up. I'll take that. That's right. Somebody's like, what, what, what? (laughs) And so, so I'll typically come home from an event like that with, with the, with a, you know, bag of coffee, like a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a bag of bags of coffee. Mm-hmm. And that will, you know, putter me along until the next event. So, but I had run out. So this could also be a, what, a bellwether that maybe you should do more events. Exactly, right? I was thinking that same thing. Like, wait a minute, I haven't been to Portland in a month and a half. And they, Portland is famous for this. They'll mm-hmm. give you, they'll give you a, a, a pound of coffee, you know, just uh, for showing up at a, at a bridal shower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I've never been to a bridal shower. I'm not invited to those. But anyway, uh, so go ahead. You were about to say something. No, no. I just uh, coffee is one of those things that I really uh, try not to run out of. Yeah. I, it's one of those things like, I mean, the obvious ones, you got your toilet papers and your paper towels and your whatnots or your, you know, milk for the kid that I, I usually have one in the chamber. You don't want to run out of whatnots, especially. You ever heard that phrase, three is two, two is one, and one is none? It seems like it's sort of connected to the phrase, uh, one boy can do the work of one boy, two boys can do the work of half a boy, and three boys do no work at all. That's terrific. Mm. That's so good. I, That's some grandfather shit right I there. I think that the phrase that I was citing is, I think it comes from the world of materiel. Like, uh, you know, you're the, what is it? Sergeant Zale or whatever. Like you're, you're the, you're the supply person. Sure. And I learned about it. Yosarian. From, <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yosarian. I, I learned about it from the, uh, podcaster and videographer, uh, CGP gray, whose videos I think you've seen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he says that when you have important things in your life, that it's, it's, it's an excellent principle. And it's something that's really, it's really stuck in my head. Cause that the idea being that two, two is one, one is zero and zero is negative one. Right. Yeah, three, three is two, two is one, and one is none. And it, it, if you think about it in terms of, let's say you've got you've got a deployed, like you've got a base somewhere. And if you have... Like a moon base? Well, it could be. Yeah, sure. More than, right. ever, more than ever in that case. But let's say you've got, I don't know, arbitrarily, let's say you've got three generators uh, that, that are available to like run the unit. You need this one generator. Well, you have to basically act like that one generator is broken. Because if once it's broken, you'll really only you won't have three anymore. You'll have two. Right. You'll have two. Sure. This gets us to, so to get to the bottom of the stack. You get to one is none, which means that once you have one bag of coffee left, you essentially have no coffee left. Sure, you're screwed. Well, just from a supply standpoint, I, I, it's, it, you know it's a sticky saying. I like yours too about the boys. That's good. Well, this is what this is why I always think uh, I always think in increments of four million dollars. Interesting. Um, because if you had four million dollars. And this applies to $400, but I like to think of it in terms of $4 million because it's my daydream, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But if you have $4 million, you put $2 million immediately somewhere that you can't get it. You put it, some, you put it into bonds or you put it, uh, you give it to Barry Bonds. You, you mm-hmm, do something mm-hmm. with $2 million of it, half of it, where it immediately goes away into some special place where you stop but a, most important like a, a special unattainable money hole unattainable money hole but but in particular you do that only so that you stop thinking about it as belonging to you two million dollars is gone so now you have two million dollars okay so now four is two four is two exactly and then with the two million dollars then you divide the two million dollars so that one million dollars is in it you still think of it as belonging to you as being like accessible money but it's in an very difficult play. It's like in savings. It's deeper. There's deeper levels. You put a million dollars into like deep freeze. It's not all the way into, I don't own this anymore in your mind, but it's in freeze. Four is two, two is one. Two is one. And now within one, then you start having, you know, then you start having the one and into, I guess I would put it into thirds, right? One third is what you're living on. One third is your money. And one third is your money that you are thinking about what I'm going to do with this money. And then one third of it, you find a way to give it away. Wow. You should write an ebook. 
Is that does that is that ebook level of uh, of of like think uh, think technology? This is just my opinion. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because it's not an idea that really needs like a three hundred page book or like a whole like Blu Ray. Like right. that is, it's a larger than pamphlet sized idea. It's a it's a pamphlet it's a pamphlet sized idea, but the implementation of that idea is like really that's where all the texture is. And and mm. but you wouldn't want to necessarily put out something on a Walden books because I don't think they no. have Walden books anymore. That's a place where you what, go and you sell your gold. Were those Christopher Walken <laughs> Walken books? <laughs> this Zagat's guide has been <laughs> in my ass. <laughs> or did they only sell Thoreau? <laughs> I didn't even get it. That's hardly a courtesy laugh. <laughs> I, uh, but uh, so uh, my mom, a frequent character on this podcast, my mom said, "You're out of coffee." She came by the house. You're out of coffee, she said. Yeah, I know. She said Bartels, which is our locally owned drugstore chain here. Yep. She said Bartels has a sale on coffee. It's like four ninety nine a pound for a brand of coffee that's pretty darn good. That's pretty good. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty good. And she said, you want me to get you some? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I can't go to my Bartels because I already got I already used the coupon. Oh, all, I see. She'd have to wear a fake mustache or something. Yeah, that's right. They all know me there. But I can find another coupon and go to a go to a different Bartels. It's it's starting to sound like a like a little bit of a George Costanza move now. Mm-hmm. She's going to go to a different Bartels and and get me uh, get me some you know get max out the coupon for four pounds of coffee. Is this a Folgers? No, no, no. It's like a this is a this is a tight. This is beans. It's a bag of beans. It's, oh, wow. You know, it's, that's, it's a, that's, a, that's a very good deal. It's a very good deal. And it's, you know, and it's a brand you would recognize, but they're not advertising on our podcast. So why would I oh, give them smart. the extra? No, I totally agree. You know what I mean? I do, like, I do know what you mean. Do you remember a time when people were taping over the name, taping over the word Fender on their Stratocaster because they, because they didn't want to be, um, they didn't want to advertise? Yeah, yeah, or their amps, and you yeah. see it. You still see it in TV shows a lot. Where yeah. in order to show reality, you want to show everybody using either an Apple or a Dell, uh, usually because that's what people use for laptops. But an Apple laptop is very distinctive, not least because it has a large Apple on it. And right. so you'll see people putting uh, putting stickers and whatnot on there. That's I've been right. I've been asked to cover my Apple on, on video you? on video things. Yes, I've definitely been told to turn my water bottle in my hand during a photo shoot. Oh, so, th- so they don't see that you're an Aquafina man, not a, not a Dasani man. That's right. Well, you can tell I'm not a Dasani man just by looking at I me. want to circle back to that. Cause I got some, I got some updated thoughts on Dasani. Oh, okay. But, but, but well, just continue. Th- so, so, so let's see three, 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 two, one coffee. Mom's going right. to go to Bartel. She's going to scare up another coupon. Right. And- she did. Mm-hmm. Well, so wait, I've jumped ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's 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 go back. We don't know if mom has done that or not. Okay. In, in the timeline of this story. I'll, add, I'll edit that out. Then I go to a wedding. I went to a wedding this weekend where every person at the wedding waiting for them at the dinner table was a coffee mug with the with the emblem of the wedding party. It has its Wed- own kind of little mark. Wedding party had had their own brand or their own um watermark. Mhm. Mhm. And it's on the coffee mug. That's it's a nice. delightful little thing. And then within the coffee mug, kind of set 
in the in the mug and at a jaunty angle is a pound of coffee. Oh, nice! A pound of good coffee. Mm. Wedding, so wedding walk, coffee. It's wedding coffee. So I walk in. There's 200 people at this dinner, and I survey the room, and I'm like, there are 200 coffee mugs and 200 pounds of coffee in this room, and I know for a fact, and I'm one of the groomsmen. Oh my gosh. So I'm there early, and I know I'm going to be there late, and I know there's going to be some rogue coffee bags. You know people are going to—John, you, John, you know how this works. First of all, you're in a position of extreme privilege, in a good way. You should be allowed—I think this is in the Magna Carta—I think you're allowed to go up and basically get people's coffee. Here's the other thing. A lot of people are going to have some drinks. They're going to take off their shoes. They're going to dance, and they're going to leave without remembering to take their coffee. That's Right. And you and just the, you just sit there like a crow on a wire, just waiting and watching, watching and waiting. It's three o'clock in the afternoon and I am already planning for one forty five in the morning and I'm marking the people in my head who are gonna get carried out of that wedding uh yes. reception on a gurney. And well, I feel what, like what, what are they gonna do? Ooh, ooh, ooh I don't I don't want to forget my logo mark in my coffee. Then they're not gonna do that. No, they're not. They're gonna be like, Woo! Call an Uber and I'm gonna I'm gonna swoop down and <laughs> and so I walked out of that wedding and at a at a certain point the the reception's coming to a close and the staff the people who are gonna tear this this party down mm-hmm. are swooping in and they're starting to clean up and they're sweeping up the debris and they're they, they, gotta, the they gotta, they gotta, they gotta, what, what do you call that? When you, uh, you strike the set, they gotta get ready for the Abramowitz bat mitzvah. That's exactly right. That's happening tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, no, tomorrow morning there's a, there's like a flower show. Oh, okay. Then the bat mitzvah happens in the afternoon. But they're swooping in, they're, they're striking the set, and I'm saying, kind of in the, kind of in the three, the, the, the four is two, two is one, one is none. Mm, yeah. One is one third. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, I've got I've got to tithe some of this coffee to these people because I'm looking around. There's probably there's probably uh, nine unattended. Bags oh, you you're at the point where you're having the one, and you're figuring out now how do I spread the wealth? That's right. That's and nice, John. These guys are, are cleaning up the cleaning up the place, and you know, and they're kind of looking around like, is this coffee just gonna? The phrase you would use uh, in the cafeteria, you say, is this for anyone? That's right. Is this for anyone? Uh, is this is this gonna get binned, or is this gonna find its way into my messenger bag? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I again, as you say, I have the authority, I have the privilege of being one of the people in a pink tie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I swoop in, I swoop across the room, I survey the room, and I'm like, that one, that one, that one, that. So I anyway, I come home with six pounds of coffee. Jiminy Christmas, good quality coffee. And I arrive home to find there are four pounds of coffee in my refrigerator that my mom bought with a coupon. Oh, my gosh. That is so nice. Yeah. But now I have 10 pounds of coffee, which, which is too many. I, I don't want to introduce triangulation here, but are, are you – I'm guessing you're recording from home today? Oh, uh, I'm you know, asking, like- asking in terms of the, the coffee situation. Oh, oh yes, that's right. That's okay, right. so so you have access to coffee now. I have access to coffee, and I'm and I'm feeling pretty ca- caffeinated. Oh, good. But I'm but I'm concerned. I'm concerned about my well being because now I have too much coffee, and I'm concerned about the coffee's well being 
because I don't know if I have the I don't know if I have the facilities to maintain ten pounds of coffee in a in a in a in a state of readiness. Oh, right. Like I feel like I should put five pounds in a place where I don't even think I have it. I got it. I got it. But where is that where the coffee isn't going to be isn't going to be kind of isn't going to spoil it some in some way. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes me wish I lived in uh, like a rich people suburb and had like a second refrigerator and a deep freeze and all that kind of stuff. Because that's yeah. kind of like your unattainable money hole in some ways. Not precisely. But, you know, another thing they say, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And also, it's a, really, let's be honest, it's a lot like cats. It's one thing to say, I'd like to have a little kitty cat for companionship. It's another thing to have 12 cats. Right? So, I mean, that's not good for you or the cats. And in this case, the coffee's going to be saying, what, what, what's going on with me? Speaking of cats. Yeah. I noticed that the latest update of the iOS is Sierra. Uh, yes, that's correct. Did they I, run out of cats? Uh, they, they chose to do a pivot from uh, big cats to locations in California. And there's a, there's a kind of a subtle uh, way that they telegraph how important or big the change in the release is. By, for example, like Yosemite is a big deal, and then El Capitan is a smaller deal because that's just a place in Yosemite. Oh. So who knows how far they're going to go? I miss the cats, though. I've always enjoyed the cats. So do you think there's going to be like an iOS Compton? Mm. An mm. iOS Long I, no, Beach? I, I, uh, that's iOS, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think they would. I think they're sticking with the numbers, but it, it can be very, very confusing. And then this, this also extends to their, uh, their different models of uh, computer things because hmm. th th those get confusing names too. And hmm. so a lot of the hue and cry right now is about like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What are they going to announce on Thursday? Is there going to be a MacBook? Is there going to be a MacBook Air? Is there going to be a MacBook Pro? Or are there going to be the features of what we used to call a MacBook Air and something that's no longer called a MacBook Air? This is <laughs> something people have podcasts about. Did you want to talk about that today? You mean, well, the thing is, it's important that I talk about these things with you because I keep telling people when they say, what do you do for a living again? Yeah. I say, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, in the tech sphere <laughs> and they, and they tilt their heads quizzically hmm. and their spouse does too. Like, like, like a dog that just heard a harmonica. <laughs> yeah. And they say, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I go, I'm kind of disruptive within the tech sphere. Oh, And then they sure. tilt their heads the other way and go, hmm. Only Nixon could go to China. That's right. And so periodically, I think it's important that I talk about techs. Oh, that's, that's a terrific idea. Yeah, because it, it repositions me centrally in the disruptive uh, quadrant of the tech sphere Right. Because every sphere is divided into quadrants. That's right. Every sphere has quadrants. And over here, you got a normative quadrant. You're not interested in that. There's no future nope. in the normative quadrant. No. You want to be in the disruptive uh, there's the, quadrant. There's the dominant quadrant. And then there's the, uh, what, 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 what would submissive? you call Submissive? No, I don't think submissive. I think it would be uh, subversive. Oh, I see. So right, you're going to subvert the dominant quadrant. Subvert the dominant quadrant of the sphere. Right. Okay. So that's where I like to locate myself or okay. be located. I don't know if you can locate yourself. I think you, I think you need to be located um, by 
by others, by the culture, by the conventional wisdom. And in order to do that, you have to maintain a foot in the, in the disruptive quadrant. Okay. Of you know what, though? I'm going to allow it. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, tell you the one thing I don't like about, about Bill Clinton was that he introduced the word grow, as far as I know, into the parlance as a transitive verb. I do not like when people use grow as a transitive verb. I so you also don't think grow the tech, you don't want to grow our quadrant in the tech. See, sphere? I think that's going to be happening in the in the counter revolutionary non dominant hand of the of the of the uh, sphere. I, well, I think what what we're doing here, if I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you want to use locate as a as a reflexive verb to talk mm-hmm. about where you decide to. How about this? How about you mm-hmm. situate yourself? I, uh, I'm pretty oh. sure Althusser said you can situate. You could situate others, and I imagine with a little bit of effort, you could situate yourself. I think I try to situate. I think we. I try to situate myself within your and my context. So as, it's like a Venn. It's like a Venn sphere. A Venn sphere. Sphere. Spheres upon spheres. Spheres all the way down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to be. I try to situate myself with you within our text. Within our sphere, which is within the tech sphere. Okay. Okay. I think I got it. I'm situating myself with you as the disruptor, mm. but I am. But I think that that um, that it's not capable. I'm not capable of. Well, for instance, I don't think you can say about yourself that you're woke. Oh yeah, it's like calling your own verse poetry. Yeah, I think only someone else, only a stakeholder can describe you as woke. You want to know another one? What's thought that? leader. Oh. You're not allowed to call yourself a thought leader. If somebody else calls you a thought leader, you can punch them in the nose. But, uh, but I think if you call yourself a thought leader, you, you're going to have a heap of problems. And let's be honest, just because you have one bag of coffee, two bags of coffees, three coffees bags, that doesn't mean you can't also have a larger bag in which to situate those coffees vis-a-vis weddings or speak, speaking events. Now, if you are Steve Aoki, can you call yourself a thought leader? Steve Aoki. Is he the guy in Fargo? I think he's, isn't he an electro house musician? Yeah. And I don't mean like, I don't Um, mean he's like a musician in houses. You're not saying like he's an electrician. He might be an electrician. Like an electrical engineer. I'm thinking of the guy that uh, Francis McDormand goes to visit in um in the twin oh, cities oh, i thought oh, that right. was steve aoki who like who's like weirdly weirdly yeah. creepily wants her to cheat on her husband that's with a him. really good movie that is a nice movie you like that movie i do that's a fine fine movie oh boy i like that movie a lot i like those guys that make those movies the cones <sighs> i like those guys too they they're one of those one of the they're they are the kind of artists where like regardless of how i feel about every single thing that they make I always will be attracted to their point of view. Yeah. Like, like right. I, you know, I didn't make it even all the way through Hail Caesar. That's okay. That happens. I might try it again. But it wasn't very Yeah, really? That's that's my daughter really wants to watch it cuz the trailer looked honest. funny. Yeah. It, it, the trailer looked funny, but but that was that it was like not funny. It was it was uh, it was hard to watch because it was because they they land so many punches normally or throughout their career they have. And this was just a swish and it had everybody in it. And frankly, I honestly, this is hard for me. This is really hard for me to say. Okay. Say it, say it slowly. <clears throat> Not so sure about Clooney. 
not so sure about Clooney. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to say it. Yeah. Oh, I don't boy, like I'm, to say I'll it. I'll have to ruminate on that one. Because I'm pretty... He's, he's kind of in the pantheon for me. I, for me, too. I'm kind of pro-Clooney. I, I look out into the world and I go, Clooney, right? If there was a knock on the door, I open the door mm -hmm. and uh, there were uh, two people standing there in dark sunglasses and black suits. Mm -hmm. And they said, Clooney? I'd say, Clooney. Yeah. Right? You're not going to stand right. there and be like, no. And I feel like, I, I feel like you know, uh, barring any information to the contrary, my, my gut is that he's, a, he's a, a good guy. A good guy, right? I feel that same way about Pitt. If, they, if these two guys at the door were like Clooney and Pitt. Clooney and Pitt. I'd, go, I, I'd say, yeah, they do my taxes. Yeah. Like, I, I love Clooney and Pitt. Yeah. But there, there are, there's, I think, ample evidence to say about Pitt, at least... There's ample evidence where you could be ambivalent about that. But hmm. yeah. Looney, I just I always felt like that charm, that smile, he's gonna get away with it. There's something a friend of mine likes to say about about why I'm not on a lot of his podcasts, uh, which is that he likes to deploy me tactically. Which right. I think is a very nice way of saying he just doesn't want too much of me on his shows, which I think is an entirely reasonable point of view. Is, is what you're saying here that that maybe Clooney is something we should deploy tactically? What I'm saying is Clooney as a comedic actor, I feel like that's the leap that we haven't that we that we are making unreflectively and we need to stop. We need to take a step back and okay. say Clooney is very charming. He's wonderful. He's handsome. Is he truly a comedic actor? Oh brother, where art thou? Well, this is what I'm saying. Oh brother, where art thou uh -huh. is a very, very interesting film. That a, that a lot of people love. It's sort of like Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, a that's lot. a very good, or I would even say Steve Zissou. It's one of those, like, if, if you mm -hmm. don't like the General Wes Anderson deal, don't start with Steve Zissou. Uh, but I feel like Moonrise Kingdom is one of the films where, uh, where f like, uh, f fans of the director can differ. Or at least a lot of people I'm, think that's the apotheosis of what Wes Anderson is capable of. Right. I mean, the people who are fans are like, this is, this is the one. Right. And then um, there are others, like me, mm -hmm. who feel like, no, that is not true. That is not. This is, it's not, it's not the nadir either, but it's like, I have, I have strong criticisms of that film. Mm-hmm. And Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, I feel is very similar in the sense that at the center of the movie is an actor that does not belong there. Mm -hmm. it, it's and, a little bit like, see, I, I, I'm one of those weirdos, though, that I like the, the great Coen Brothers movies that everybody likes. And I also, I really, really genuinely enjoy some of the slighter films. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I really like the Hudsucker proxy a lot and some people, Great think, movie. some people really don't like that movie and I, I think it's wonderful. Uh, but in that case, is it just, is it, is it a little bit too Cone brothers and that's not helped by the Clooney? What about lady killers? Feel, lady killers. You got Tom I, Hanks with a stutter. I feel like, I feel like Clooney is clowning. Clooney is clowning. Clooney is clowning in that movie. He is hamming. He's mm -hmm. hamming it up. And the thing about the Coen brothers is that everybody's hamming it up all the time in all their movies, but they're not 
smirking. John, John Goodman is like yeah. swinging from the rafters, but he's committed. He's committed. Yes. Right? John Goodman is really hamming, but he's not clowning. You believe it. Mm-hmm. And you look throughout all the Coen Brothers movies, who are the who's clowning? And it's Clooney's clowning. Clooney's clowning. Yeah. So you can see all the way through Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is a great film. Everybody else is like is all the way inhabiting their 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 uh, ham, their Virginia ham. Mm-hmm. Inhabiting the ham. And, and Clooney is riding the ham. You know oh, I, mean? I see. He's like Slim Pickens on the on the the bomb. You don't you don't you don't fly a rocket ship. You ride it. That's right. That's right. And, and he's, he's doing that with a Virginia ham. You need to be in the ham. You need to be the ham. Inhabit the ham. Not ride the ham. That's right. And don't so, don't let don't and, let the ham ride you. Don't you know, let the ham ride you. Intransitively. So if the if if O Brother where, where Art Thou, Clooney is, you know, he's playing the role, but he's riding the ham. Yeah. Within <laughs> at, at O C old Caesar or Hail Caesar. Yeah. Right. Clooney's not even he's just like he's sweating through the oldies, if you know what I mean. Does he have does he have um jokey kind of fake teeth in Hail Caesar? Did they do things to make his teeth more funny in that? I, I feel like yes, although when you comment on Hollywood actors' teeth. I, no, I mean in a like, this is obviously fake like teeth. fake teeth. Sort of like like Matt, uh, Matt not Matt Damon, um, uh, uh, the, the kid from the 80s movies. Matt Dillon? Matt, Matt Dillon. Dillon in uh, that one movie with uh, the other guy. Oh yeah, with teeth. the girl, with the girl with the uh, the semen in her semen hair. hair. Yeah, so yeah. like, okay, and I'm I'm kind of going somewhere with this, and this is a, this is a large unified field theory that might be a ham, but I'm thinking also think of the movie Snowpiercer, which right. owes us a lot of fucking money. Um, very good also. movie, but Tilda Swinton, she has a character with fake teeth. She's clowning the ham too. She's transformed by those fake teeth. She is. I think I'm thinking many of these instances, the teeth make people a little clowny. Yeah. And, and I, I it doesn't I, always work. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll fight anybody in the snow piercer, uh, fight ring. You don't like it? Well, it's, uh, there were interesting snow piercer is a, is a series of interesting vignettes, uh, stitched together with a incomprehensible, um, like one page, the one page of Snowpiercer makes no sense at all. The the the, the four three two one on that is I feel like the first quarter of it is riveting. Yeah, the second quarter it, maybe half of that, and then by the time you get to the end, you get to the front, you're like, ooh, yeah, you you really you had me and you lost me a little bit. Yeah, you lost me here. I'm I've been wondering that we've talked about this quite a bit, like. How do scripts get made? In particular, how do shitty scripts get all the way to made? Mm-hmm. I've uh, just been recently watching the very popular television show, Strange Strange Things, Strange Strange Ways. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. So you got a new password. I've got, I reestablished my old password. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, oh, you've uh-huh. been mending fences. Yeah. I made, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, um, I watched the show and it was a thing where, you know, at, at first you're like, is this just a TV show? And then things start happening. And you're like, this is an interesting TV show. 
And then a little while in, I started to feel at least like there's acting happening here. Some of what I thought was just not very good acting is good acting. Then I got, you know, a little bit like "Mm, that relationship between those people is annoying me now. I feel like if I were... Yeah, if yeah. I were in the writing room, I would have I would have done that. I would have handled that a little better. Put a little bit of backspin on that. Mm-hmm. And then about what would you what would you say? Four fifths of the way through, I said this had better not be one of those shows where the writing falls apart four fifths of the way through the show because nobody thought about how to end it. I remember getting I want to say into the penultimate episode and thinking, wow. They have a lot of loose ends to clean up in an hour. <laughs> That's right. And and it felt very much like you guys didn't think this all the way through. I'm I'm picturing you in the writing room and no there's no person in the writing room who's sitting back in their chair and saying, "Now wait a minute. What why in the universe of this all happening? Like why? Or furthermore like not just what, but like that, that thing has motivations too. Yeah. Right? No, like, no. I, that, that's the most interesting kind of story is that when the thing has motivations, See, yeah. it's like what you, I mean, another, just to go to an old example, alien and aliens, like, you know, the, uh, the titular alien, it has things that it wants. Mm-hmm. It sure does. Uh, uh, like so many of these, uh, so many monster movies now, uh, the, the, the thing is just a thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jason, had a motivation. Hmm. Michael Myers had motivation. Hmm. I'm not sure about the one with the sweater and the... And oh, the, the Wilberforce guy with the striped sweater? Yeah, who came into your dreams and did bad things? Yeah. Uh, what, what was his motivation? He was, he, was dream, he was in a dream and he was mad? I think Something he was a child molester who got thrown in a furnace, <clears throat> I think, and then he gets in your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Child molester in a furnace. That's terrible. La, la, la. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I so, sought the meat. I take the heat. I deserve it. But then, but then uh, the the Stranger Things uh, arrived at its end, and I was relieved of my of my relieved of the horror of of having spent a season with this and then needing to hate it. Yeah. Uh, uh, like I, I, it, it arrived at the end and I went, all right, television, you have, you, you succeed. You, you didn't, I'm not sure you stuck the landing, but you made the landing. You arched your back, put your hands in the air and now it's up to the judges. Yeah. Did they stick it? Yeah. Now it's up to history to judge you. I don't feel ripped off. Good, I didn't good, watch, good. I didn't watch lost, uh, be uh, ever one time early on. We were on tour and uh, and a very delightful band. We we were opening for a for a delightful band and they gave us iPod, the first iPods that had TV screens. Oh, Neato. Yeah, those are neat. Was the, was that the iPod Neato? Mm-hmm. iPod Neato came with a sock. Mm-hmm. So we all got iPod Neatos, and the other guys in the band loaded their iPod Neatos with things. Immediately, and I don't know how they did it. Probably online. Beep, boop, 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 and all yep, of a sudden, yep. their iPod Neatos are full of things. Now, I kept they, my they iPod. Knew, they, they knew how to use the Ethernet cable. 
They did. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow. We were in Europe. I don't even know how they did it. Oh, well, it's a whole different voltage there. Well, yeah, exactly, right? You can't even play Betamax tapes over there. Mm-mm. Well, it's all pal. But uh, I kept mine in the box probably for a year. And then my mom, a frequent character on this podcast, Hello. found <laughs> She found my iPod Neato in the box and she was like, what's this? And I said, it's an iPod. And she said, oh, it's mine now. And then she took it and loaded it up with stuff. She loaded it up with the history of indie rock. <laughs> Put her creed on there. And she's been, that was pre-creed. Uh, and she's, I don't know, she used it until it caught on fire. But anyway, one time we were driving through Austria or something and I was maybe sick and I was just mad and Eric Corson, the bass player of the long winter said, here, why don't you watch an episode of lost the very popular television show mm-hmm. on my iPod pad, Nito, mm-hmm. iPod Nito. Mm-hmm. They hadn't invented the iPad Nito yet. No, I don't know. I don't, uh, the timeline is very confusing to me. We well, were sick. That was I, I, I X, uh, mm. kitty cat. Yeah. Caravel. <laughs> eggs, uh, American short hair. Mm-hmm. So, so I got ready to start. <laughs> I sat in the car and I watched. I tried to watch Lost on this little teeny phone thing mm-hmm. in a moving vehicle, <laughs> and I became very frustrated uh, with ev- with every stage of the like. What is this incomprehensible television show? It's like I'm watching somebody play the video game Mist, mm-hmm. but on a thing that is like the the size of a large pack of candy cigarettes, and this vehicle is moving through space, and I'm getting a little car sick, and I was sick already. Yeah. So that not like, not an ideal introduction. No, it was a little bit like a Clockwork Orange introduction. Mm. My eyeballs were pinned back. I was taped yeah. to a chair. Ludovico technique. And I was like, I don't want to watch this Lost. Mm-mm. And I was grateful later when the when there was a cataclysmic sigh of disappointment throughout the culture I inhabit mm-hmm. or, inhi- or inhibit. <laughs> the culture you inhibit. <laughs> in, which you, in which you choose to locate yourself. That's right. The culture in which I'm located that I choose to inhibit. I said, ha ha, fools. I didn't watch your dumb show because I wait and I wait until the jury is in. Yeah. And now you all feel like you've been hoodwinked, like you were uh, gaslighted by some people that didn't write the story in advance. Hmm. And that's not a thing that I like. I don't like to watch a thing where the story wasn't written in advance. I listened to a wonderful thing this weekend, uh, which was a 1960 interview, um, Studs Terkel interviewing Buster Keaton in 1960. Oh, my God. Which is pretty interesting if you think about it in yeah. lots of ways. I mean, Buster Keaton was still kicking around at the time. He's talking about, like, trying to re-release his films in Europe. and But it was, it was a, of course, it's Studs Terkel. It's who I, I, I love that guy. I just love his whole deal. And, he, and there was just lots of interesting little tidbits and little, uh, just really talking about, you know, you think about his, his movies were 40 years old at that point, but right. he was still kicking around. But they were, it was very interesting just talking about, you know, how you, how you make those movies and what went into it. And one of the things he said that I thought was so remarkable was that in this gravelly voice from, <laughs> from the cigarettes that would eventually kill him, he's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, when we would do this, we would always, we had to have a really, a very good start and a fantastic ending. And then we could fill in the middle. 
easily. But you've got to know how it starts, and you've got to know how it ends. And they yeah. never used a script, which is, if it's if true, is amazing. Because you think about, you know, today, like, there are a lot of people who use, you know, primarily like Mad Max famously had storyboards rather than, like, a written script. But, like, what, a, what an ambitious idea. What, an, what a different time. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I've been turning that over in my mind, like, wondering if I think that's entirely true. I assume it is, but also thinking about the implications of only really having an, a, a beginning and an end, and then that how that governs what you do for the parts in the middle. I, I uh, are you familiar with the uh, the author Maria Semple? She oh, wrote a she's popular book. The friend of a guy who we've talked about. She's a friend of a guy who we've talked about. She's she's the isn't she the daughter of Lorenzo Semple Jr. Is that what I'm remembering? That's correct. Okay, Maria Semple. Yes, you've talked. You've talked. Uh, you've talked about her. Tell, tell me about uh, Maria Semple. Well, Maria Semple is a writer. She has uh, she has written uh, a popular book, "Where Do You Go, Bernadette," uh, which was a a, a best. Uh, she it was in the it was in the bestseller sphere. Bernadette, and um, she just uh, and she is married to George Meyer, one of the people George who invented the Simpsons. Yes, yes, yes. And was a he was a writer he was a I guess head writer on the early David Letterman show the David Letterman show that we all the loved. one we love yeah um, <laughs> when they when they weren't allowed to do anything normal <laughs> can we have guests nope can we have a big band nope yes. Yes. <laughs> can we have anybody who's ever been on the Carson show nope <laughs> you better you better send the receptionist from a drug clinic to the bus station. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all hey, you the, there, you there. All the Wanna hot dogs and free peanuts in the world aren't going to fix that. Uh, <laughs> Would he, you like a hot dog? I'm sorry, I love that show so much. <laughs> Whoa. Anyways. Yeah. So she uh, wrote a book about... Bermuda. Uh, funny, funny kind of place. Bernadette. What am I thinking of? Why am I singing that? That's uh, Who's that guy? The, the uh, guy from uh, Georgia in the Wheelchair who passed away. What was that guy's name? Uh, you know that one guy, Orlando. Huh? Tony Orlando. Tony Orlando. Let's save Tony Orlando. I'm thinking of Vic Chestnut. Damone. Vic Chestnut. He had a song that goes Bernadette. Did you ever you know, enjoy Vic a, Chestnut? Tour with. I did a long tour of Europe with Vic Chestnut. I bet that was colorful. It was extremely colorful, um, and I, I loved and adored him. But I felt like when he died, he and I were estranged. He he was a pretty complicated guy, wasn't he? Yeah, and and there was a and, and lived in a world of complicated people. Yeah, and surrounded by complicated. I saw him at uh, I saw him in Noe Valley, probably nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Saw him do a show there. It was pretty riveting. Yeah, he's a he was a great performer. He's an intense performer. Yeah, he was for sure. He did an album with Lamb Chop. Uh, that's right, and that was in that era. That was in that that exact era that I toured with him. The Lamb Chop, Lamb Chop era. Oh, neato. In fact, we all played a show together in Barcelona. Barcelona. Uh, Maria Semple. Herp derp. Oh, uh, Maria Semple uh, gave just gave a talk where she was describing her writing process, and it was that she uh, imagined some characters, and then she wanted, and then she decided what was going to happen to them. Here's what she here's what she has. She has the characters, and then she knows what. She wants to happen to them at the end. She w- she knows where they, the, where she wants them to end up, and then the book writes itself. And I I I thought about that as she was speaking, and then I walked away with it, and I've been turning it over in my hands ever since. Hmm. She said, "You know, I've got these. I got this character, uh, 
a, uh, a callow, shrill woman, and I want her to get her comeuppance. And I want her comeuppance to look like this. And so here we go. And here's her journey on her way to her comeuppance. I was like, hmm, that's, uh, that's very different from like starting in the dark and feeling your way toward like 900 pages of gibberish and then trying to filter that down into 10 songs. Yeah, the whole, the whole idea of creating a fiction book, a novel in any way is just seems like such a staggering idea to me. And I, wonder how, I, wonder, I wonder if that process works for more than one book. She's describing it as as working now successfully for her through three books. Wow, she that's that's she's got a good mind. Yeah, you need, you need a good mind to do something like that. She's very smart. And writing a novel, I, I God, I wish I could. Yeah, I've never tried, so I don't know if I could. Do you think you have to but, start with short fiction? So short fiction, I, mean, I think from, I from, could, from, as an outsider, as an outsider, somebody who enjoys fiction. Uh, from as an outsider point of view, it kind of seems like that's the. It feels like in a really um, perhaps dumb way, that's the training wheels for learning how to tell a story. Is to write something you know ten pages long before you write something three hundred pages long. Well, I I may have done this because it was very self serving, but a long time ago I said the novel is a uh, is a high art. But then the short story is a higher art because you have less room, fewer words to tell the entire tale. And then poems, as Colin Malloy would say, are an even further, an even higher art because you have now reduced it. You have reduced the short story to or the, rather you've reduced the novel's worth of story to stanzas. And then the highest art is the pop song because now you've taken the poem and cleansed it of all of its impurity, washed the filth out of it, hmm. and made only the gold, only the little shining nuggets and that is why the pop song sits atop the pyramid of all writing hmm. as the tr true condensation. Now that may <clears throat> that may be self-serving, but I don't think so. Hmm. I think I I think that it, I think that within the within the sphere that that I grow, I grow the sphere. We're in the one in which you've located yourself. That's right. I be the sphere. Mm -hmm. I, I see the sphere. I be the sphere. Mm. I grow the sphere. Hmm. And within that grown sphere, I, I think I've reduced the, I've re reduced the sum total of all human knowledge to a, to a poster that could go on the wall of a dentist's office. I don't think that sounds self-serving. No, my dentist shows uh, photographs of uh, furniture that he's made on his, on the walls of his. Place? Oh no, it's much worse. It's it's much more Clockwork Orange. It's it's why I don't go there anymore. He's very <laughs> does nice. He, he, <clears throat> does he play his his son's band over the over the intercom? It's kind of worse. Um, he's very gregarious. Mm -hmm. Um, and Strike one. he's well, yeah. I mean, I 
I, I don't want to talk to the Uber guy. I definitely don't want to talk to my dentist. He's a very nice guy, but there's a very, very large screen in your face that's, I guess, nominally there so, like, a kid could watch Dora or something. But he has his screensaver for a TV it. screen. It's a big, big, big TV screen that you have to look at because you can either, like, look look at him while he's in your mouth or you could look at this screen. Oh, no. Right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Hobson's Choice. And so, but up on the screen is a canny mix of furniture that he has built and cartoons about dentistry that he regards as funny. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I can't listen to Beethoven anymore. I, oof, it's like uh, kind of blue. Have you listened to the new Prairie Home Companion yet? <laughs> uh, ding, no. It's good. I haven't listened to the old Prairie Home Companion except when I was over at oh, friends' houses and their on. moms were cooking for us. Uh, really? This is this is where you're going with this. You d- you've never listened to Prairie Home Companion? Not voluntarily. Okay, never mind. Well, it's now hosted by that 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 funny, nice, hilarious, talented man who plays mandolin in the band. That's not. It's not Nickelback. He used to be in Nickel Creek. That's right. And he's extremely talented and funny. And yes. they've made the show fun. A uh, uh, friend of the show, John Hodgman, was on this week's episode. Oh, that's fun. That's it, fun. it is fun. And they've had great... They had uh, Lake Street Dive, which is my favorite band I've discovered in 2016. They were on. Oh, good. But they're not They're not being too cute about it. It's still got a lot of flavor of the old show you never uh, listened to on purpose. Right. Just thought uh, I mentioned that. All the kids are beautiful and all of the trucks mm-hmm. run on time. Yep, ethanol. Here in Lake Wobegon. At least, at least Garrison Keeler made the trucks run on time. Well, so I am. I would consider myself pretty darn good friends with Sarah Watkins. She's she's very talented. Oh my god! And she used oh, to be on the yeah. old show you didn't listen to quite often. She's no Cindy Cash Dollar, but she would be on fairly often. Yeah, well, she and her brother and uh, the other the, and other the guy that's now hosting it. That's and, right. And the they other were, one. They were Nickelback. The three of them. They were Nickelback, mm-hmm. and uh, they are amazingly charming, wonderful, talented. You ever heard them people. cover Pavement? Or curl your hair. They, uh, do, I haven't. Uh, they, they cover spit, uh, spit on a Stranger, and it's it's sublime. They uh, there's a lot of sublimity in mm-hmm. what they do. Sub, sub, and, subliminal, yeah. And I thought when he got that show that if there was a chance for someone to come in and take over for a uh, Garrison, that you, you this call, was you call, you call him you call him Garrison. Garrison. Mm-hmm. Um, he garrisoned himself in that, in that, uh, St. Paul public radio building. And I thought that there was a very good chance that that would be a success because of the, because of the slub, subliminity and the, uh, and the talent. He has good taste too. And it, it sounds like it's happened. Also, he can rip. He I've can never rip. heard anybody He's... play a mandolin like he plays. He plays a mandolin like if Jimmy Page was a good guitar player. His pull-offs are crazy. The thing about the mandolin is that that as mandolin playing gets better and better, mm-hmm. it becomes clearer and clearer that the mandolin is um, the mandolin is just there to make a make a note clouds. Mm. Yeah, um, Pro- bad mandolin. Mm-hmm. Bad mandolin playing is like is, <laughs> his mandolin playing. <laughs> bad bad mandolin playing is is fairly. Uh, Musical, right? Because it's someone that's used to playing the guitar, picks up the mandolin, figures out four or five chords, and then it's just a really high little little guitar. Like you know, is like it the same guitar. setup? Yeah. Oh no, kidding! So what well, is it oh, the, you mean is it the same setup? No, I don't I mean, is it the know. Same I don't like think. four? Okay. 
but I do think that if you're if you're used to playing the guitar, you can sit and, and noodle on it and be like, well, if I put my finger here, it sounds like that. You know, you you make chords, you find chords. Hmm. I'm going to learn about mandolin tunings. But as you get better and better at the mandolin, and you get faster and faster, and your pull-offs get faster and faster, it becomes just uh, that. You know that like it's every note all the time. I bet it's hard. I mean, I bet the tension on those strings is pretty high. I bet you don't get a lot of slack. It's not like a Les Paul, right? It's not like a. It's not like a fretless wonder. It's not like a black black Les Paul custom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, the advantage is that the notes are really close together, so oh, you don't have sure. So if you have tiny you know, hands or something, tiny hands, you. It looks like it's the opposite. It's the op- looks like the opposite of a guitar. Upside down guitar. So it's G G D D A A E E. GGDD. I, I, he used to throw shit all over the stage. Oh, I remember him. He's the guy who used to cut himself. GGDD. Yeah, cut himself and then smear his poop in it. Yep. Something. And we and that was art. Research magazine. GGDDAEAAEE. And is that the same as a ukulele, John? What's a ukulele tuning? Tuning dang on a telephone, telephone, ukulele tuning. I don't know how ukuleles are tuned, even though I play them all the time. Because I pick them up and I tune them to the to my best guess. Oh, yeah. Huh. So all all instruments that I that somebody that are left in my hands long enough for me to take ownership of the tuning, mm-hmm. uh, I end up tuning at least in the form of the high four strings of a guitar. Interesting. And do do you, do you ask a person before you uh, tune their ukulele? You don't well, even tune another I mean. man's ukulele, right? If someone hands me their ukulele and says, here you go, I do what I'm suggesting is what I would do on the mandolin. I would mm. never try to tune a mandolin. But I just sit and I yeah, just play notes until I find chords and then I'm like, hmm. the mandolin seems like a circle of hell because you, you got doubles of everything. It's like a 12-string but with uh, none of the 12-string guitarness of it. Yeah, it's, an 8-string that's tuned some some other way. and uh, But – that's what I mean when I say if someone leaves their ukulele with me long enough that I would take over possession of the tuning, which mm-hmm. is to say more than overnight. Somebody, if you leave oh. your ukulele with me overnight, I'm somebody not gonna, lent, lent you a ukulele. Right. If somebody said like, hey, I left my ukulele at your house. I'll be back in six months. <gasps> Enjoy it. Yes. I would take over the tuning of it. Sure. I would sit and look at this thing and just be like, hmm. G-C-E-A. And uh, and so at that point I would tune it like a like a guitar and I and I'm not sure I would even know D G B E D G B E yeah so that's just like it's that's just like a guitar I get it I you know I've got a um I've got a uh, a ukulele guitar that I like a lot did I tell you about this ukulele guitar yeah so it's a it's a guitar that's like the size of a big ukulele and you can just have it sitting around in the oh. family room. Does and it stay in tune? Not too bad. It just uses classical guitar strings, basically, and it really needs a change. I've had it for almost a couple of years now. I, I love having it around, but here's the baller thing I did. Normally, you tune this thing, the E is an A. Yeah. I'm doing, right. drop, I'm doing drop G. I tune it down to, my first string's a G. It sounds great. Wow. Totally, totally, exactly, totally baller. That is That does sound cool. Now, you can pick one of these up. They're not very expensive, and they're, it would be ideal for someone like you. A little you, backpacker? You, yeah, like a backpacker if you're a, a lock and welder, uh, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Lock and welder. We also got something in our house the other day that, that's a lot like, a, what, are your, what are your meat sticks called? What are those called? Jaeger, Jaegermeisters? Land uh, Jaegers. Land Jaegers. Uh, 
Landjäger. Uh, Landjäger. They Lond we uh, we have a new salami product in our house. It's like uh, it's basically about the circumference of a uh, Q-tip, but it's made out of salami, and it's a delicious it treat. A, did you snap into a Slim Jim? You is can snap into. It? You get it from Trader Joe's. Uh, hmm. Hmm. I'm not. Hmm. Anyway, I, it must somebody, be hard to write somebody, a book. Somebody, a good, a good friend of mine, <laughs> a good friend of this program that you might not know. Okay. Um, gave me very generously gave me a basket of Landjägers. Oh boy. And said, you know, we drove all the way across town in our town, different from my town, and bought these Landjägers, and we'd love you to have them. That's so nice. It was incredibly nice. He Were was they like, good? Take, this is the problem. I did not prefer mm. their Landjägers to my own Landjägers. Mm. Because Landjägers, you know, they can go a lot of different directions. Absolutely. And so I figured, like... Think, I mean, think about that. Really, what you're saying is, like, there's a form factor here. We want this thing that's, like, the circumference of what? Like a husky pencil. Yeah. Now, what are you going to make it out of? I bet there's a lot of options there. A lot of options. And how are you going to grind up this stuff that you're going to put in it? And how Se- are you going to. Seasoning, gonna, casing. Seasoning, casing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I figured, you know, these were originally meant to be carried around in the pocket of a farmer for however long, for or a, 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 in the pocket of a goat herd or somebody, somebody that goes up into the mountains and then comes down some indeterminate time later. Mm-hmm. And so I put them in my pocket and walked around, figured they needed a little bit of pocket curing. Pocket cure, sure. And it didn't improve them. And so they sat in my refrigerator a while, and I, I said, maybe what they need to be is they need to be desiccated because these things are, are better when they're desiccated. But no, that didn't help them either. And that would and, be like uh, you, you stick it in a bag with like some silica packets? Uh, well, I think if you leave a thing in the refrigerator long enough, it will self-desiccate. It self-desiccates, yeah. So that didn't improve them. And the whole time I was covered in a little bit of shame because I like, uh, the, I like uh, the people that gave me the Land Jaegers. And I, and I did consider it a supreme act of generosity, but I just could not stomach these Land Jaegers. And eventually they went down the river. Mm. Yeah, which was, you know, terrible. I just Felt looked terrible. up Land Jaeger for the first time. It's bigger than I thought it would be. It's not a Slim Jim. It really is. Nope. It's like a, it's like a, a small-ish like, legitimate sausage. Yeah, it's a it well, and the more that the the more that the moisture goes out of it, the more it becomes. It's like if you're, let's see, it's bigger than your finger. Yeah, it's bigger than it's like if you took a candle, your typical candle, mm-hmm. you burned it for an hour, and then you uh, carried it around in your pocket. Okay, for a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Like a, it's. It's a, can- like a pocket candle. It's a that's right. It's a candle that has had wax dripped down the side of it from having burned for an hour, and then you took it out and you carried it around in your pocket for let's say the length of the time it took you to get these goats over the mountain. But it matches the performance characteristics you'd look for in this kind of thing. It's not mm-hmm. like you're going to carry around like what like poached eggs or a porridge in your pocket. Mm-mm. You need something portable, something that's going to be hardy. That if yeah. like let, let's be honest, if you fall off the tractor, it's not going to ruin your lunch. Well, sure. Uh, it's it's like if you could carry a pickle in your pocket. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to have a pocket you, pickle. Yeah, you can't carry a pickle in your pocket. It's going to get your that the the brine is mm-hmm. going to give you a rash. Oh, that's a shame. But a Landjäger's not going to give you a rash. Mm-mm. And it's um yeah, I carry them around. The thing about beef jerky is beef jerky gets 
it's hard to eat. It gets stuck in your teeth. Yeah. It is, is this a little more moist, desiccated as it is? Is it a little more Absolutely. moist than a jerky? Absolutely. It snaps mm. like, a, like a Slim Jim. Mm-hmm. There's more to it. It doesn't involve any kind of pro wrestling element. Yeah, I understand. When you bite into it, you imagine, I mean, like, if this was a television commercial, and I've never seen a commercial for Landgager, but if this was a television commercial, I'd be like a guy, just a normal guy, walking around in his normal guy clothes, and then I'd snap into a Landjager, and <sighs> instantly I would be wearing lederhosen. Would you wear and a I'd Tyrolean go, hat? And a Tyrolean hat, and I would go, what? And the the commercial, the tagline would be, Landjager turns you into a Tyrolean. Mm. They, could, right? they could probably workshop that a little more. <laughs> Landjager, welcome to Garmisch Partenkirchen. Mm. And... That, well, yeah. Okay, really so that's not a great. These. I'm looking at them right now, and they, they they look they look really toothsome. You've never had uh, you've never had one. I don't know if I have. If I have, I forgot it. You have to go find the Bavarian butcher shop. You go to like the Bavarian quarter of the sphere. You go to the Bavarian quarter. But well, yeah, San Francisco's famous Bavarian quarter, mm-hmm. um, which is right over there by Italian Town. <laughs> and you you walk the streets. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you uh, yodel for a land Jaeger. That's the phrase. Yodel for a Jaeger. Yodel for a Jaeger. Yeah. Oh, which is more of a fog. E cola. E cola. E cola. I think that the the process of making a land Jaeger kills E coli. I'm gonna just come right out and say it. Did you ever you and you you one of my friends' food podcast, right? Did Don you ever end Schaffner up doing that? Is not gonna, yeah, he may agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. He may well, say, he's got he's got a lot of thoughts. He does, and the the consensus on that podcast seemed to be everything you put in your mouth, there is an element of risk, and all we can do as eaters is to measure the risk and bite into those things where we've determined that the risk is manageable. Life would be so much better if we acknowledge that that's the way everything is. Yeah. It's thinking that there is not an inherent risk in things that causes problems. Everything is risky. Everything's risky. You just haven't quantified it yet. Yeah. That's why anxious people are technically right. Hello. (laughs) Um, And so so a capacity. (laughs) Oh, it's so nice to be technically right about how I am. You're technically right. But the, the, the capacity to live in the world is determined by your ability to or where on the sliding scale of risk management you're gonna you're gonna put the marker uh where you say, This is the amount of risk I'm willing to take. Mm. And my risk marker is way out, I think, relative to others. I'm willing to take a lot of risk. Um not knowing that knowing that everything could Everything can potentially kill you. I mean, I have a basket full of swords in this house. Yeah. Which is not when, you know, when, uh, when my child was born and there was all that, uh, all that talk in the culture of the people who were around me at the time who were helping me, uh, ma- manage the transition between not having a child in my house and having a child in my house. I think they would, if they had known about the basket of swords, they would have said, you need to get that out of here. They call it baby proofing. Yeah, baby proofing your house. They put uh, they were telling me I should put things in the electrical outlets right. and I should take all the cleaning supplies out from under the sink and all the things mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. You, but you, they you, don't, you didn't do that. They don't even they didn't know about the basket of swords. 
uh, I didn't really baby proof my house. I house proofed my baby. Oh, that's so smart. But what I did do was I took all of the vintage uh, barristers bookcases out of what became the baby's room because that the glass in the fronts of those cases is fairly thin. Oh, yeah. May, and it's not exactly like shatterproof. And I said, maybe I should transform this library that is now the baby's room into an actual baby's room and take all the things that could kill her out of here. And I moved all of my uh, vintage poisons to higher shelves in different. Oh, that's smart. That's smart. We just, I think, as far as I know, I've removed, as of this weekend, I removed the last piece of baby proofing we unintentionally kept around. It's uh-huh. all gone well, now. Well, we, we, we've been doing it for years. Well, it starts out with like the first thing you got to get rid of is that bullshit that makes it hard to open things. So, right. like the things that keep your poison drawer, like I know you don't have this with your vintage poisons, but a lot of times you'll put some kind of a clasp on there where you got to know the secret knock to get into where the Windex is. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, uh, and you take those off as soon as you can because that's the worst because you're living with that every day. And then, then eventually, like the doorknob things that won't let you lock a door and that's that kind of stuff, you get those off. But I finally took off the last one. It was a safety, well, because it didn't matter. It, it was an inert form of baby proofing that we didn't need to worry about. It's one of those things where you put it over a light uh like a little two pig nose light outlet yeah. power outlet and yeah. it allows you to snap a cover onto it so you can still yeah. have stuff yep. yeah so i removed that so we could put the uh the cat the cat relaxant diffuser into there without it bumping up against the edges of the plastic you have an uh, you have some kind of electric device that diffuses your cat we have two electric devices in our house that uh that dispense through through a diffusion method diffuse a chemical into the air that relaxes the cat <laughs> And I couldn't do that when it was baby-proofed. So it's like a Febreze for cats. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a Febreze for cats' emotions. A, for, a cat emotion Febreze. Does it, does it counteract the uh, Triscodeca plasmosis? Oh, right. The thing where you don't want to eat the poop because it'll, yeah. it'll get... Yeah. I don't, it turns I, you into I, a cat lover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I can't tell. This is, again, this is one of those, you know... Um, one of those things where you can't, it's hard to tell if it works. You know, where the, okay. the guy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm here scaring away the alligators. And the guy <laughs> says, there's no alligators here. He says, see, it's working. See, it's working. So we got two of these, and we, within a bill. week, we noticed the cat seemed calmer. Okay, so it's difficult. Good. We don't have a control cat. Once again, we're back to that old problem. There's no control group. Does your cat suffer from, from anxiety? Sure she does. She's very I skittish. I see. I see. And I think she does it on purpose to provoke me. She, she's uh-huh. been living w- with us since February, and she knows that we walk through the house. Yeah. We walk through the house on a regular basis. And so here's what sure. the cat does. The cat stands in the hallway and uh-huh. she stares. She stares in at a, something. In a state of readiness. She, at first, she, she just kind of looks like some kind of a hairy cake. And she just sure. sits there. And then she looks at me and her face is like, what? What? And I walk a little bit. And then she goes into a ready position. Uh-huh. And then well, she starts walking in the direction that she knows that I am walking. Right. One step in front of me. She oh. stops, acts terrified, jumps a little bit to where she knows I'm going to walk more. Then does kind of a 180 and starts running in, in abject fear. And does this keep your does it does it impede establishing a gentle pace for you? Oh are you, are you trying Ugh. you're trying not to step on her, you're trying you're like, ah, I'm also kind of startled now. If there's one thing you know about me, John, you know it's that I like velocity. Yeah. It's, it's important to me to get in motion. You can't stay in motion until you get in motion. Right. This a is body why at rest hard. stays at rest. It's very hard to get out of the house on a weekend morning because I lack velocity 
in the form of my child. She will mm-hmm. not allow me to have any velocity until at least 1230. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you got to get the shoes. We got to do the thing. We got to go do that thing. Yeah, you're cranking up an old air raid siren. like, And the cat, she knows what she's doing. She knows what. And then, and then at night, uh, she comes in and I pet her for two hours. So oh, least, we have a very good relationship, but, um, but no, I, I think she's just, I think she's just riding the ham to be honest. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? I think, I think she knows what she's doing. At some point in the 1980s, my mom, cause in the 1960s, my mom raised Borzois and, uh, and considers herself that my mom is a frequent uh, character on this podcast yeah. and she considered herself to Can be we get her a grant or something. Is there a way she could get maybe like some kind of a MacArthur thing? Yeah, a Pell Grant or a, a Pell Grant would award. be nice. Um, <laughs> she raised Borzois, and I and I think maybe not inaccurately credits herself, uh, partly with reestablishing the Borzoi as a as a, a viable breed in the Americas. Wow! Because the Borzois were were fairly endangered because uh, during the Russian Revolution, the um, the Russian peoples, the revolutionary Russian peoples, killed the Borzois en masse because they were the dogs of the czars. Oh, dogs of the czars. you got to kill the symbol. Yeah, kill the symbol. Kill the dogs of the czars. And so the uh, the Borzoi only survived in the population of Borzois that had been given to other kings as gifts by the czars. And so my mom raised Borzois and sold Borzoi pups to the people who are now credited with having reestablished the breeds or the breed. So she, so she reads the history of the Borzoi in America as you do. Mm-hmm. And it sort of goes back to the Johnson family and the Percocet family or whatever. Sure. The, 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 and, the Percocet, the Percocet Borzois. Yeah. Then the new England Percocets. Okay. Uh, and it's the Walla Walla Wallas. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know what? I sold three puppies to the, to the New England Percocets, and mm-hmm. that's that's where they got their dogs, right? So oh, now, now they're coming back to the well. That's right. The Percocets are coming up dry, mm-hmm. and they they have to go outside New England to find a Borzoi now. And who are they going to call? Oh no, I think that it was the. I think it's it's even earlier than that. I think they were sitting up there in New England, and they were reading a magazine, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, we want Borzois." Oh, I see. And my mom had the had one of the few populations. I okay, I get it. This is in the sixties. So, so she the got rid of her- get all the credit, but they, they yeah. weren't really on the uh, the Borzoi Mayflower like her mom was. That's right. That's right. She's the uh, she's the Ur Borzoi, mm-hmm. and uh, she got rid of her Borzois in the late '60s when Manushka, her chief, uh, her chief mare, uh, bit me like uh, forty two <sighs> times in the face in right. the space of one and a half seconds. I blocked that out, but now I remember it. That's horrible. Yeah. So we didn't have Borzois for a long time, but then in the nineteen eighties, when I was in high school, mom decided that she wanted a Borzoi again, and so she bought this Borzoi puppy. And let's be honest, she wasn't that worried about you anymore. At that point, if a Borzoi bit me on the face, it was probably my fault. You probably had it coming. That's right. I was. Ant- I if you were antagonizing get- the Borzoi. That's right. To, to don't antagonize the Borzoi. And I wasn't antagonizing the Borzoi, but she bought a Borzoi puppy. And if you know anything about Borzois, even as a even as a puppy, a Borzoi is about the size of a comfort horse. <laughs> and so <laughs> here you have 
<laughs> Here you have a comfort horse in the, in the form of a dog. Are there comfort horses? Have, you're not aware of the comfort horse? Well, I saw, I've seen, I saw the comfort duck the other day. Yep. I've seen comfort yeah, pigs. Sure. We remember uh, all too well the comfort I don't horse. want to be ableist, but taking a horse on a plane seems like asking a lot. I just want you right now to Google comfort horse. Okay. Because they're small horses. Oh, like little Sebastian. Okay. Comfort uh, horse. But it's still a horse. So I don't, you can't make a horse as small as maybe you would want if you had a comfort animal. I mean, it, but apparently people who want comfort animals, who need comfort animals, find the comfort horse to be very comforting. Uh, and oh, I can I, see I, no, no, no. Listen, I, I, I get that. Like if you, have, if you happen to have stables and require comfort, a horse seems like a great fit to me. Well, but a comfort horse doesn't need a stable. A comfort horse, I think, can curl up on, in a basket. Oh, my goodness. But it's got to be a big basket. Uh, okay. Hmm? And so the <laughs> Borzoi puppy was the size of a comfort horse, but it was a dog. And it had uh, – it was – it suffered from an anxiety disorder that meant that anytime it saw you, it immediately ran in every direction simultaneously. Oh, no. Because the, the paws are – you know, going each each paw going a different direction because it's a it's an enormous wolf hunting dog that's living in a home. Oh my gosh! And then it would hide under bed. It couldn't fit under the couch. It would have tried to hide under the couch if it could because it thought it was the size of a rabbit. Oh, the poor thing! It was terrible. And so I was living in the house with a with a comfort horse sized dog that wanted nothing at all to do with me. It never allowed me to touch it. And I was, a, I was a rambunctious teen that was myself the size of a comfort horse. I was even bigger than a comfort horse. How many hands? Uh, me? You were probably a good 10 hands high. I was 10 hands. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I behaved I – was, I was the size of a comfort horse, but I behaved like an African cat. <laughs> and I – but but even so, a predator. I, knew, I was a little I was a little bit of a of a leaping predator. Okay. You know what I mean? Like an African cat. Can it's just leap. it's just how you're bred. You just go straight up in the air, mm-hmm. and you can catch uh, you could catch a comfort duck uh, that was that was in the process of taking off. From you could the, probably get a lot of small comfort animals. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like if if pickings are thin, you could get probably like a comfort rat, or mm-hmm. if, but if you were if you had enough African cats, you could take down a wildebeest. Mm. And I'm not talking about a comfort wheel. wheel, wheel. <laughs> or some t- I'm talking about a full size one. <laughs> uh, and nothing's more comforting than a small wildebeest. Especially if it has a big basket. <laughs> Wilbur beast in a basket. I know. I, know. <laughs> I pet the mane. It feels the same. La, la, la. So, uh, so it was very – I felt anxious, and I hardly ever feel anxious. This sounds like quite a toxic hell stew for everyone involved. Well, sure, because I was and your the mom, first – And your mom's got to – she's got to arbitrate, right? Well, she, she was – Did she favor the Borzoi? She was able to communicate with the Borzoi because the Borzoi, Borzoi bonded with her as some sort of parental – or at least you know, the, the Borzoi perceived my mom as the feeder. They did a Carl Lawrence. The, the Borzoi imprinted on your mom. Imprinted on the mom. That's right. Mm-hmm. My mom would ring a bell, and the borzoi would get the would would uh, stand on the stool to get the banana. Hmm. Um. So, but I can't, I was the first one home every day. Right. I got off of school, and I could transport myself, which, and my sister would 
just go hang out under the statue of Captain Cook and smoke clove cigarettes. But I went home because I wanted to take a nap on the on the sunroom couch. And so I would walk in and who knows what the Borzo was doing all day. But then there would be this like clatter of hooves as it ran to find shelter somewhere, you know, where it couldn't somewhere. I guess it thought that it was it was a uh, prey for eagles because it would hide under things. And my oh, sense I see. animals that hide under things are scared of eagles. Oh, that, that, that makes sense. Right. If you were hiding from a cat, you wouldn't hide under a bed. You want to go where eagle, eagles won't dare. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But in, uh, so you go under for eagles, over for cats. Smart. Or what about behind? That's like if you're being attacked by a deer. Or a Wilberfeast. Or a Wilberfeast. Okay. If, you, if, you're, if a Wilberfeast is in your house. Is that a comfort you, Wilberfeast? No, I'm talking about a, a standard. A standard or a, okay. You don't need to hide from a comfort Wilberfeast. <laughs> But if you're looking, I think in order to in order to hide from Wilberfeasts and bo- and bulls and boars, mm-hmm. that's a behind. Okay, situation. all right. Because I don't know about their eyes. This is, make, this not is making a lot a lot of sense to me. Yeah, right. Up for cats, down for eagles, behind for boars and 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 Wilberfeasts. Wilberfeasts, and you just want a nap. I'm just trying to get on the sunroom couch. Yeah. And 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 do you think the dog was intimidated by that? They thought you were an eagle. No, I just think the dog uh, the dog had an anxiety disorder and eventually after you know after 9 months which in the life of a teenager is a long time. Oh god. And this thing got bigger and bigger until it was the size of a comfort piano. <laughs> Can you get a comfort animal for your animal? Cuz I know I saw a really sweet picture of a, a a dog that has its own seeing eye dog. I mean, is is it comfort all the way down? Can can you can you keep providing layers of comfort by adding adding new animals to the situation? Do they have to be animals? Do they have to live together? Could could it just be like a correspondence? But is there some way that that you could bring in maybe an ironic animal? Maybe you could bring in a really nice eagle, and it would really it would, well, at oh. first at first you'd be really scared, but then pretty soon it's petting the eagle. You've seen the you've seen the videos of the cat and the owl, the guy the, who has the uh, owl and the pussy an, cat. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He has a pet owl and a pet cat, and they play with each other. The owl will swoop down. Huh. This is a this is a swooping owl. This isn't like a house owl. My, it's not a comfort owl. Well, I this think also they ties take, into your cat and possum situation, where you go, hey, you know, turns out yeah. it seems like these these guys should be going after each other, but they're sitting around playing canasta in their underpants. Sure, because they understand. That's right. They're in the they're they're in the Boca Raton of uh, animal mentality. That's right. So the the owl swoops down and the cat leaps up because they're leapers, mm-hmm. jumps up in the air to like bat at the owl. And the owl keeps going back and forth on purpose so that the cat can leap at it. And they both are having a merry old time. And then they retire together to sit and groom one another. Oh, that is so sweet. I would love to see that. Well, I think it's on the internet. Okay. And you've seen the big dogs with the little kittens. Oh, this, is, they, this is my entire day. My entire day, now that my spirit has been broken by this election cycle, all I do is look at cute animals on the internet. It's I'm, pretty much all my family looks at now. And there I'm are so you, many I'll, cute animals on the internet. Oh my God, it's insane. There are a lot of cute animals. We did that to ourselves, of course. I know. I know. Well, we, we, need a, we, need a, we, need, we need our own comfort animals. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Where's, where's took, my duck? We took a, a, angry hunters. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we natural natural selected them, mm-hmm. 
Uh, we evolution evolutionized because of the hand, the, the the unseen hand of evolution that we right. we've located in this particular sphere. Visa, yeah, we found comfort. the hand. That's right, we found, we found the hand, mm-hmm. and we took the we took the beasts and we turn and we turned them into uh, into big eyed does mm. and uh, and moo cows that give us milk. And so now we have an owl and a pussy cat. It's only a matter of time before they figure out a way to mate, and. How are you? What are you going to do when you see one of those in your barn? I, I, I couldn't tell you. What, what, what would you say is the difference between you play D anD D? What would you sure. say is the difference between a familiar and a comfort animal? Do you, is magic required? I, I really, really, really wanted a familiar. I could see that. Well, in, in the course of trying to make an orb, it seems like maybe having a cat that you could talk to might be useful. I feel like a familiar is somewhat under your. Either under your direction, or at least you're able to consult with it. Okay, I'm looking so it up for, here. So if you had a capuchin monkey that could put your food in a microwave and 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 cook it, okay, that's that's getting pretty close to familiar. Okay, like so help, t- today we might call that a helper monkey. A helper monkey is I I feel like getting into the familiar zone. Okay, if you're just feeding and petting a thing. That's more of a Blowfield cat. Okay, so we've identified you have an animal in the wild, like like like, like a Wilver feast. You, you've got you got animals in the wild. You've got animals that have been domesticated for work. You have animals that are domesticated for pet things. You've got animals that can be from one of those things. I guess you pivot and you convert them to a I guess a comfort animal. Yeah. But then you also have helper ones. Now, would it be ethical to have? two horses in your house, one of which is a helper horse and one of which is a familiar. And just for fun, I'll throw in a third. What if you get a third one that's even cuter that's a pet? Okay. Would they get along? Should they get along? Do they sleep in different baskets? I don't feel like a comfort animal is much aid to you other than being friendly. Although, but you wouldn't ask it to make you eggs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like, Comfort animal, can you get up on that high shelf and bring me down that tchotchke? Okay. Bring me down the jar of sugar. Bring me that sword. Bring me the sword from the sword basket, comfort beast. I would not ask that. And yet, even the niceness, I think, is uh, is called into question by the presence of a comfort turkey, because I do not believe that a turkey can be nice. Turkeys are pretty mean-spirited. They're mean, and I don't think that a turkey has the capacity to be nice. Whatever part of the brain uh, locates the niceness, whatever, wherever well, niceness is located, yeah, within the sphere of the brain of an animal, the okay. turkey is missing that part of their brain. Okay. So apparently, a comfort animal is missing even a non-existent have sphere part that we would think of as being like a, not necessarily a familiar. It could still be a familiar. It would not. It could be a pet if it faked it, but it's not going to be comforting, and it certainly won't make you eggs. I think the comfort animal is a vessel into which you pro, pro, you project your desire for comfort, you, your desire to be comforted, oh. and then the animal reflects your desire to be comforted, comforted back to you. It's a cipher. So That's right. you're 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 looking at the turkey, and if you see if you see comfort in the turkey, it is uh, prima facie a a a a comfort turkey. Precisement. Whatever you find comforting is comfortable. You could have a comfort wastebasket, right? If you bought a, if you bought an extra ticket for a seat on an airplane for a wastebasket, okay, wouldn't have could, to wear a vest. It could fulfill that role. Mm-hmm. 
What is the largest comfort animal you would personally feel comfortable? How do I put this? What's the largest comfort animal you would be willing to take on a plane? I see. I assuming. Think, uh, let's assume. Uh, you know what? Let's let's assume economy plus. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, what about a comfort sow? Now a sow is a big male hog. Mm, is no. that right? I think a sow is a big female. It's a big lady hog. A okay. lady hog. Here's the question. It's the thing I don't know about hogs. Can a hog sit in a chair? <laughs> that would be so cute. If you put a hog on its butt and belted it in, <laughs> oh. would it sit comfortably? Can its architecture support itself sitting on it its butt? It would have its little hooves in its lap. Yeah, right. Or, or maybe the way that they're built, the hooves would just be sticking straight out. Maybe you'd have to put the tray down. It could put the hooves top top hooves on the tray. Right, right, right. And then it's like you pull the curly tail under. Okay. So the little tip of the curly tail is sticking out. They could probably get an orthopedic seat that could accommodate a curly tail. What what happens? What if what happens when when more of us exercise our right to put a vest on an animal and bring it on a plane? What happens when we get into something a little more, as John Syracuse would say, Darwinian? Like yeah. what happens if one person has a comfort eagle and the other person has a comfort borzoi? Oh, or a comfort rabbit. A comfort, a comfort rabbit. Like, what have you got? What have you got? An owl and the rabbit. An owl and a rabbit in the two aisle seats across from each other. Can, do we do we expect that they're just going to leave each other alone because they got the vest and they know what the deal is? Mm-hmm. 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 It or is like this? A lot, it seems like a lot to ask, John. Are you introducing a problem? Right. An owl's not going to be friends with a rabbit. Let's just stipulate that. And of course, you're going to give your comfort animal the aisle seat. I think so. Because if it's a helper animal, you want it in the aisle. Well, you're probably a little introverted. You'd probably like to have the window. So, yeah, right. Do extroverts one- have comfort animals, John? Sure. I, it well, must happen. It, mu- it must happen. Statistically, I think almost everyone has a comfort animal now. So I, I would have to imagine we've now gotten to that point like homosexuality and veganism, where it's crossing broad spectrums of the sphere. We're moving way beyond this quarter, that quarter, this Venn, that diagram. Now, more and more people are going to find comfort in an animal. And let's be honest, it's good for the airline industry. A lot of times they can't fill those seats. That's right. You might bring And they're going to charge animals. you full price. If you bring a sow on an airplane, they're going to charge you full price. Absolutely. And, and, I, but if he wants to check a bag, that might be 75 bucks. My sense is that there are com- there are actual comfort animals that are actually providing needed comfort to people who need comforting, and then there are fake comfort animals that are the comfort animals that you are kind of re- reply uh, referring to. Well, when I, you I say, want you to get all the email for this, but it's my yeah. understanding that this has actually become a problem. Where and I'm not saying any of this is right, wrong, or whatever. I honest, I don't want to get involved, but it's my understanding no. that a lot of people are making vests at home. Because they want, yes. their, they want their pet on the plane. Yes, right. I mean, it's like, so uh, we talked about this, I think, even last week, the testing of your child to see if they are uh, gifted. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about this last week? We talked about it previously. The, yeah. uh, the, so, they should be in some program with an acronym. Uh, right, that's right. If, you're, if your child needs to be in a program with an acronym, uh, uh, they get tested to see if they qualify. And uh, so they sent us an email saying, uh, do you want to have your child tested? And we said, eh, I guess. And then they immediately wrote back and said, your testing is Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Uh, October 28th. Mm-hmm. And we, or whatever, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If that's yeah, yeah, I follow. And we said, what? 
uh, when we said, eh, I guess so, we didn't know that that meant that we were supposed to report somewhere for an SAT test for a five-year-old. It seems a little presumptuous. And Right. And what kind of – I mean, they can't write. You're not going to give them a thing that says uh, pick the – pick uh, which which example doesn't fit with the others. This is how they pick the Dalai Lama. They might take him out to like a, like a picnic, put some things on a blanket. You know, if you, if you pick up the right Altoids – Yes. You know, you grab the right set of, uh, you know, USB head- headphones, that, that, that's how they'll know that you're the next gifted child. Yeah, then, so then a monk throws some confetti in the air, mm-hmm. and they're like, it's you! Right, the, the, the white smoke comes out of the monk. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> in, in this case, uh, we, we were startled by this, and we talked to some other parents. Well, uh, so here's the anecdotes. Uh, we talked to two different people who said, we had our child tested, and they didn't get into the gifted program. So we hired an independent tester mm. and, and in the Seattle school district, I guess you have to have your child tested by the city first, but if your child doesn't pass the city test, you are able to hire a private tester to verify the city's findings. And in both cases, wow. the parents whose child did not get into the gifted program when they were tested at five years old to see if they were gifted. Then hired an independent tester, and guess what? I'm going to guess that the child turned out to be gifted. That's exactly right. The independent for-hire tester determined that the city was mistaken and their child was, in fact, gifted. Do they get a vest at that point, John? I think they do. get. They get. Well, you know what they get? They get a Robin Hood hat. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a nice hat. Yeah, a little But there should be hat. some way to, to distinguish them. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you uh, off the record. This, to me, sounds like one of those jam-ups. This, to me, sounds like a who's who among American high school students. Like, they're going to get you. They got you. They got, oh, we got a live one here. They want the testing. I yep. bet you're going to get a lot of weird mail. Uh, be well, be and circumspect. You might want to use a fake name. It, it seems to me that if you can test, if you can pay to have your child tested into this program, then it is just a place where, uh, like, busybody rich people are, are putting their kids. It's, it's, a no vest, long- it's a vest mill. Yeah. It right? no Anybody, longer seems It's like vanity printing. You go in there. You want a vest? We'll make you a vest. That's right. You're a novelist now. Hey. You paid somebody to, to, to copy and paste your book into something. My goodness. So we decided as a family last night uh, that we were not going to go to this test, that our child was going to the public schools and let the chips fall because this all sounds baloney and uh, no thanks. No good, good for you. I, I, you know, for what it's worth, I think you did the right thing. Because, like, yeah. well, what, what are you supposed? What are you going to get? Like, if, if they are gifted, what changes? Yeah. Well, they go over to a special place where they get to play with, uh, you know, where they get to make origami uh, uh, swans mm-hmm. or cranes. They get to make cranes, probably. When I was in the gifted program uh, in fourth grade in Seattle, which was called the Dig program, the acronym stood for Damn Interesting. Uh, uh, gadflies. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it stood for, but we—they actually taught us to use slide rules because it was the it was the last gasp, the dying day of the slide rule. Mm-hmm. And they taught a bunch of fourth graders to use slide rules, which was obsolete before they they were they found these slide rules in a dumpster behind uh, the the jet propulsion laboratory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and which was you know they they all had digital calculators at that point and they were like what are we going to do with these let's give them to gifted kids and see what they make and you know if they had left us alone for three more minutes we would have made uh, like a toothpick Eiffel Tower out of these slide rules 
But in fact, they had somebody come in and teach us how to use them. I couldn't use one now. I think we could, you and I could slam dunk this today. If we, if we got the resources, if we got your mom behind us, got some help from her, I think we could, we'd go, we'd go way beyond Montessori. I think we'd go basically, we get the cheapest building we pop, maybe the place your band used to practice by the Hugo house. Maybe you can get that back. We get yep. that. It becomes a one room schoolhouse. And here's what you get. You, you bring your kid in. And yeah. what we have, we have, we have encyclopedias. We've got atlases. Yeah. And we've got yeah. three or four horses. And that's the school day. And you, you have to test into this program. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how you would. You, know, you definitely need a vest. But you come in, and, uh, and basically you just you read through the encyclopedia all day long. If you don't you get a dictionary, go look it up in the dictionary. we got atlases, right. and then periodically you go and get comforted by a horse. So there are horses, small horses, just milling around in the room uh, where the shelves are just full of atlases and encyclopedias. Of course, of course. And, and you know, if you don't get an education in Mm-mm. there somehow. Forget it. You don't deserve to be it. Give me that vest. <laughs> Comfort horse. <laughs>